This week on Blue 58, Mike McCarthy says the Packers had it wrong on Demarius Randall. The Jordy Nelson tour of sadness continues, and we wrap up a big series. Then we break down the possibilities around the Packers making a big trade. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here on episode number 74. We've got a lot, a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. First, right off the bat, uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on related to the NFL owners meeting, some rule changes happening. Uh, Mark Murphy was speaking. Brian Gutekunst did a little bit of speaking. Mike McCarthy also spoke this week. Uh, at the coach's breakfast. And one of the things he touched on, in addition to some things about the Packers' offense, rebuilding the playbook, and things like that, was Demarius Randall. He says the Packers more or less had it wrong on their 2015 first-round pick. He says the Packers were playing Demarius Randall out of position. Quoting now from a PackersNews.com article, Uh, Heading into 2018, McCarthy says the Packers were going to play Randall as more of a slot corner slash safety hybrid. Now here's the quote. Uh, We were going to play him in more of a safety nickel type role. I think that's his natural position. I think we all recognize that. Him playing as a corner for us was the best thing for our defense at the time with Morgan and HaHa and really utilizing the players the best way we can. Obviously we've had issues outside with corners staying healthy the last two years and that's a product of him playing out there and he played it well when he was healthy when he stays in the game. End quote. Now, Randall was a safety in college. He played a lot of safety, but it was more that safety-slash-nickel-corner type role. It wasn't a true, like, deep, 35 yards deep cover safety. Um, The Packers, for whatever reason, thought he fit better in their defense as a corner, which is why he played there from day one. And you can see the line of thinking that they're following here. They've got HaHa Clinton Dix, their 2014 first-round pick. They've got Morgan Burnett, who also plays safety. they got Micah Hyde, who also plays safety. So, since we've got this talented defensive back, we're going to play him at corner, which he can also do. He did that in college a little bit, too. There are some other reasons why they might might have just taken him regardless as, as to whether he had a position to play in the NFL, or at least with the Packers, and we'll touch on that here in a second. The question I want to address, though, is if it's not his natural position, why play him at safety? Whose fault is it for making this call? Three real guys we got to talk about here, Mike McCarthy, Ted Thompson, and Dom Capers. First and foremost, Mike McCarthy. I don't think this is his fault. He's only got so much control over how defensive players are utilized, and I think it's telling that as soon as Dom Capers is out the door, the Packers wanted to do something different with Demarius Randall from a personnel standpoint where he plays on the field, not shipping him out to Cleveland. That was an entirely different decision. So then Dom Capers. Yes, I do think it is kind of a Dom Capers problem here. Say what you will about the relative merits of letting Casey Hayward and Micah Hyde leave. It seems pretty clear that neither of those guys was used to their full extent in Green Bay. And now it kind of seems like Demarius Randall may not have been either. That, to me, falls on the defensive coordinator. If if the, the, the Packers are trying to build a team out of the most, I don't know, out of whoever they can get, It doesn't matter if they're a first-round pick, uh, an undrafted free agent, or somewhere in between. It's up to the coaches 
to get the most out of those players that they can. And Capers seems like he was not capable of doing that, at least as far as his players in the secondary. So Ted Thompson, the third of these three guys, how much of this is Ted Thompson's fault? Is it Ted Thompson's fault at all? I think it might be, but just a little bit. He did draft Demarius Randall, and it's while you can see it, um, just the thought process, if they're thinking of Demarius Randall as a corner all the way, you can see some of the thought process there. But taking a little bit of a step back, it's easy to see why the Packers picked Demarius Randall if they thought he was a good enough player to play safety or corner in their defense. Clearly, it's very clear. If you look at the state of the draft in 2015 when the Packers were picking, Randall was the pick. It had to be Demarius Randall. Let's look real quick at the next 25 players in order who were taken after Demarius Randall. And this will be easy to do because we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about any of those guys. Stephon Anthony to New Orleans, Malcolm Brown to the Patriots, and then ripping through the second round here, Landon Collins, Donovan Smith, Mario Edwards, TJ Yeldon, Devin Smith, Preston Smith, Eddie Goldman, Doriel Green Beckham, Devin Funches, Jalen Collins, Benardrick McKinney, Haole Kikawa, Eric Kendricks, Jaquiski Tart, Eric Rowe, Denzel Perryman, Mitch Morse, Ronald Darby, Nate Orchard, Jordan Phillips, Jake Fisher, Amir Abdullah, and Max Williams. It's pretty clear looking at that list that Demarius Randall was the logical selection from that for the Packers. Just among those 25 players, even today, there are only about three guys with whom you would swap Demarius Randall. Say Demarius Randall was still on the Packers right now and you had the opportunity to trade him straight up for one of these three guys, you would do it. But these are the only three. You would trade him for Landon Collins in New York. You would trade him for Eric Kendricks in Minnesota. And you would probably trade him for Ronald Darby, now with the Philadelphia Eagles. That one is a little bit iffy. So let's just say Kendricks and Collins. Well, at the time, the Packers weren't going to draft Landon Collins. He was much more in the mold of haha Clinton Dix. So why would they take another very similar safety? Along those same lines, Eric Kendricks, six feet tall, 230 pounds. Sure, he runs like the wind, but he doesn't fit into a 3-4 defense. And as strict as Dom Capers was with some of those personnel roles, it there's no conceivable way that the Packers would have taken Eric Kendricks in the first round in 2015. Randall was going to be the pick. I truly believe he was at the top of their board, and it's very defensible looking at these next 25, 30 guys who are on the board that he would have been. So I don't think you can really blame Ted Thompson in this situation. Blame him if you want for letting Micah Hyde and Casey Hayward leave. Sure, if you want to do that, that's fine. I don't want to argue about that anymore. At at this point, if you're really still bent out of shape over that, that's a a personal problem, not a football problem anymore. So this is interesting, and we're really going to see this next year, uh, whether the Packers were right or wrong to move on from Randall, because if he could still be an effective player, I think they should have held on to him and just put up with his shenanigans. But we'll see. We'll see how things go in Cleveland. It is interesting to note that the, the, uh, the Rams, Cleveland Rams, wow, that's way back in the day. The, the Browns are going to save probably in the neighborhood of three to three and a half million dollars by switching Randall to safety. His fifth year option is going to be significantly cheaper as a safety than as a corner. Interesting note there. Moving right along, the Jordy Nelson sadness tour continues. He interviewed uh, with Jason Wildey on Wildey and Tauscher at ESPN, what is it, 540 in Milwaukee. 
Uh, a few choice quotes from his appearance uh, with Wilde and Tauscher. Uh, quote, I think the hurt part, to be honest, was the unwillingness to try to make it work. Then again, it's a business and they have to do what they think is best and what they need to do to be able to move forward and prepare for the future of the Packers. Nelson, of course, speaking of his release from the Packers and their apparent unwillingness to do a deal with him to restructure his contract so he counts less against the cap. Uh, Nelson, uh, the article on PackersNews.com continues, he was asked during the interview if there was a dollar amount he would have felt comfortable accepting, and in reality, the monetary issue was one of several deterrents that lessened the desire to stay in Green Bay. Nelson quoting now, I think the number was part of it, but also the conversation I had in the meeting. I met with Brian and had discussions because I had to get a feel for not just the pay cut, but what their plans were going forward. After that meeting, there wasn't, I don't think, much desire there. I think it was a combination of both. We decided what was best for my family and or myself and our family, and they decided what was best for them and the Packers, end quote. So my question is this, just thinking about this, why do we hear about how sad it made Jordy Nelson to be cut by the Packers and not how sad it made the Packers to see Jordy Nelson put up 7.2 yards per catch down the second half of the season last year? I know why, because that's not how it works. When a player gets cut by an organization, you know, you have the feel-good tour for the player. And that's fine, but still, there are two parts to this equation. And as I said last week, it is okay for either of the people involved in these decisions to make decisions based on money. It's just fine if the Packers want to move on from Jordy Nelson for money-related reasons or because they don't think he can contribute anymore. That's fine. That's okay. And it's just as okay for Jordy Nelson to say, hmm, no, I don't think I'm going to stay here and play for the veterans minimum. I don't want to do that. That's okay. I just think we need to balance things out a little bit in terms of whose perspective we're always adopting here. We always adopt the player's perspective, and uh, the stuff always comes back in favor of the player, almost always in these situations. So I I don't have a whole lot more to say about that. I just get a little bit tired of seeing online, like, oh, Jordy Nelson doesn't feel good because the Packers cut him. And I get that. I think we've all been in undesirable work situations and had to go through things like this. Sure, not all of us get fired and, you know, have our contract negotiations aired for public discussion on websites and TV shows and and the radio. Yeah, that is true. And there is very limited overlap between an NFL football player's job and everyone else in the world's job. But still, I, I guess I understand it from Jordy Nelson's perspective. I just wish that we could, you know, have a little bit of sympathy for the team that's making a sizable investment in a player and not getting a big return on their investment either. So I guess I sound a little bit cranky there, but oh well, I guess you can be a little bit cranky sometimes. Finally, uh, this past week, over the past week or so, we wrapped up our player recap series in which we recapped the season of every one of the players who played for the Packers in 2017. This is a fun thing to do every year. It's interesting uh, It's interesting to do for us behind the scenes because it really forces you to take a more in-depth look Uh, at your own presuppositions, your own opinions, and and think in depth about why you're saying the things that you are. So uh, we did an exit survey. We, we, Gary and I talked with each other, came up with a few questions we kind of wanted to ask ourselves about this process. Uh, You should read the whole article. I think it's it's worthwhile, worth your time at thepowersweep.com. But the one question I wanted to bring up while we're on together here on the, on the podcast is, 
uh, is question number two from our season recap series or season recap exit survey. Uh, readers disagreed with our evaluation of a Packers player 21 times when we had those three levels of uh, our expectations for a player. Exceeded our expectations, met our expectations, or did not meet our expectations. The question continues, is there a player out of the 21 that you would evaluate differently? I said Kentrell Bryce, Gary said Devontae Mays, or he brought up Devontae Mays as an example of someone whose expectations are really, I guess, different from us to the readers. I said, when writing Kentrell Bryce's evaluation for 2017, that he met expectations, but 88% of our readers said he did not meet their expectations. Now, I think there's a reasonable case to be made on both sides. I believe he did meet expectations and that he was prevented from, you know, maybe living up to people's expectations or at least our readers' expectations just by the plain fact that he didn't get to play a whole lot in 2017. Uh, He was injured for most of the season, and I think he kind of faded at a really bad time. But because about the time he really started to go down for the season was about when Aaron Rodgers was injured and the things that started to happen badly for the Packers after that. I think that plays a big part into people's perceptions of him. Nevertheless, I would be very willing to go back and take another look at Kentrell Bryce's eight games or so that he played in 2017 and see how things went. Um, He played strong early. He tailed off the the longer the season went on, but um, I would be willing to take another look at that one. The next one, though, Devontae Mays, the one that Gary brought up, is interesting because... um, he wrote, and I agreed, that Devontae Mays met expectations in 2017. But the readers voted and said that 87% of them believe that he did not meet expectations in 2017. And I get that. He carried the ball like three times and fumbled twice, two in one game, two on his first two NFL carries. That's pretty bad. That's about a ba- as bad as a start of a start to an NFL career as you could imagine. But... This is where the process really pays off for Gary and I, Uh, because at the start of the season, we wrote a column called Setting Expectations on Offense. And in that piece, our expectation for Devontae Mays was simply that he would make the roster in 2017. That's all we expected of him. He was a seventh-round pick. There were three running backs on the depth chart ahead of them. Uh, Two of them were draft picks. One of them was a highly touted guy making a position switch to running back, Ty Montgomery. It's, it was a numbers game, purely, simply, just for him making the roster at all. And he did. And for that reason, we said he met expectations. He failed at everything else. But at the very basest level, he did meet our expectations for 2017. Anyway, give that a read. Check it out. Uh, and tell us what you think. We are excited to, to start this series up again uh, around training camp because we'll start with the, you know, what are our expectations for these guys again, and then we will get into whether or not they meet them at the end of the season. I'm excited for 2018. I think it's going to be a very interesting year for the Packers. Before we dive into talking about trades, let's take a second to talk about Patreon. Gary and I were looking at the numbers for our Patreon account today, and it's very exciting to see the people who agree to support us at Patreon. It's not just about the money, though. Um, Every bit of cash that comes into the power sweep really tells a story to me. And it tells me that you believe in what you're doing and that what we're doing has value to you. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that you have chosen to tell us that what we're doing has value in a physical, monetary way. And if you've been on the fence about that, 
if you've heard us talk about this on the podcast, you've heard us bring it up or read us bring it up on, on the website, I would encourage you, if these things are of value at all to you, consider supporting us monetarily through patreon.com. It's $1 every month. Uh, I know that might seem like not a significant amount of money, but it really is. If one person gives $1 per month for us, that allows us to pay off our hosting for this podcast for an entire month. Um, $12 from one person pays for an entire month of hosting for this podcast. That is not insignificant. Um, and that, that means a lot to us as well, that you are willing to support us in that way. So consider it. Uh, find us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep and, and throw in just $1. Think of it as giving us a quarter every time you listen to a new episode of Blue 58. We'd really appreciate it. All right, let's talk about trades. Trades have been very trendy uh, to talk about, to do, I guess, in the NFL of late. It's become a lot easier um, for teams to trade because it seems like more teams are just willing to trade. And we've seen a lot more trades happen over the last year in the NFL. And of course, that means people really want the Packers to do some trades. And uh there are reasons those trades may or may not be feasible. There are reasons those trades may or may not be a good idea. But I think we should take a little bit of time to talk about it. We did talk a little bit on the blog about one trade, which we will lead off here with here, the Packers trading for Odell Beckham Jr. Now, the Giants are kind of wishy-washy about whether or not they really want to trade their superstar young receiver. And I think everybody's got to be a little bit skeptical about bringing him on as well, for good reasons and perhaps for some bad reasons. The good reasons, I think, are, are that, um, you know, he is just a wide receiver. He's going to need a big contract extension. He wants to be making around $20 million a year uh, with his next team, whoever that is, whether it's the Giants or, or anybody else. And he, he is coming off a significant injury. The bad reasons are that, you know, he is quote-unquote a distraction. Uh, he's immature. He gets into trouble off the field. First of all, if a guy's a good enough football player, and Odell Beckham Jr. definitely is, you can put up with a few distractions. Secondly, a lot of these distractions are not really distractions. When you talk about the quote-unquote off-the-field stuff, there are a couple different kinds of off-the-field stuff. There are legitimate off-the-field problems, and there are not so legitimate off the field problems. The controversial, I say that with heavy, heavy sarcasm, uh, boat party that Odell Beckham Jr. and a few of his teammates had before their playoff game in Green Bay a couple of years ago is a prime example of that. It was a distraction only because people wanted it to be a distraction. They weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't causing any trouble. They weren't hurting anybody. They were just a bunch of young, rich dudes having some fun on a boat. If you were, what would he have been at that time? 23, 24 years old, and you had literally tens of millions of dollars to spend. Do you think you would spend it, you know, at home, sitting in your favorite high back chair, reading a first edition of Dickens or something some night? Of course you wouldn't. You'd be out there spending money in whatever semi-responsible way that you possibly could. I don't know if I would be on a boat. I've never been real big into boating, but I'm sure I would find some stupid way to spend my money if I was in Odell Beckham Jr.'s position. It's fun. 
And it, that's what young guys do. They have fun. He was just having some fun, and until he comes up with an actual reason that we should be concerned, or that until someone comes up with an actual reason as to why we should be concerned with his off-the-field behavior, I will be inclined to just let it go. So, that's the easy part. Those are the easy questions to answer. It gets a little bit more tricky when you talk about actually trading a receiver who is, one, very, very good, and two, very, very young, relatively speaking, and prohibitively expensive for some teams. Just how much would it take to prime away writes SB Nation. Well, according to the New York Daily News, their article continues, the Giants' asking price for callers is starting at a first-round pick plus. So a first-round pick and new and other considerations. That could be a player, probably another pick, probably another pretty high pick, a second- or third-round pick. And I think if you are the Giants and you've got a player of his caliber, that's that's a fair asking price. Let's put that in context a little bit. Though trades are becoming more common, trades of superstar caliber players are not exactly common. So we've got to dig into the history books a little bit to to come up with some comparable trades. Um, the best example I think that you can come up with is probably Randy Moss. He's the closest guy to Odell Beckham Jr. in terms of talent level and production that has been traded recently among NFL wide receivers. Moss is obviously better so it may be a little bit closer than some people would like to admit. I don't want to get into that debate. Just consider it one super high caliber receiver as a comparison for another. On March 2nd, 2005, the Vikings did trade Randy Moss, and they traded him to the Oakland Raiders for Napoleon Harris, a linebacker, and the seventh overall pick in the 2005 NFL Draft, as well as a seventh round pick in the 2005 NFL Draft. So Moss was heading into his age 28 season when he was traded. Uh, Odell Beckham is just 25. Moss was pretty clear on the fact that he didn't want to be in Minnesota. There were some things going on behind the scenes there. Beckham has been more wishy-washy on that. He just wants to get paid. But Moss still did get traded for the seventh overall pick, a seventh rounder, and a player who was basically fine to good. What does that look like in 20? 18. Well, that SB Nation article that we were talking about actually posits that the Packers may be in a position to make a similar deal to the Randy Moss trade. They did not bring up the Moss comparison. That is something of my own invention. But they consider the Packers one of the teams with a shot to trade for Beckham. Uh, Quoting from their article, uh, with the number 14 selection, the Packers may be right in the sweet spot. A pick the team is willing to give up for a receiver and also one the Giants are willing to accept. I think if the Packers are interested in trading for Odell Beckham, it's probably going to take their first round pick at least to get it done. Uh, we had a reader comment on our blog. Fred Thurston suggested Randall Cobb, Clay Matthews, and a fourth round pick. I don't think the Giants even stay on the phone long enough to answer that question uh, if you offer that. I think they just hang up and say, nope. Sorry, that's not going to do it. Um, Cobb and Matthews are both on expiring contracts, and a fourth-round pick is almost, I think, a little bit closer to insulting for a player of Beckham's caliber. Like, the the Giants don't have a, a whole lot of incentive to move on from him here. They can just keep him and, and have a really good player on their team and then pair him 
with whoever they pick second overall. That maybe that's a quarterback, maybe it's not. Uh, but they they don't have to move on from him, and that's something that people I think forget a lot of times when you start talking about these trades. I mean, they don't have to do anything. It's not like they're obligated to trade him, and he's not really given any indication that he's willing to not play uh, until the Giants give him a new deal. But you know, maybe things get a little bit more interesting over this summer. All that to say, I don't think the Packers are going to trade for him, but it's going to take a lot if they do decide to get him. I would think something along the lines of the Packers' first-round pick, a second or third in this year or next year's draft, and then probably another conditional pick in there somewhere. Probably three draft picks or two draft picks and a fairly decent player. I think that's quite a bit. Um, And I know the Packers do have a lot of draft picks, but they don't have a lot of the kind of draft picks that would be tradable. The other name I see coming up a lot is Patrick Peterson. I understand why. Uh, He's heading into his age 28 season. He is a seven-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro, and perhaps most importantly, he has three years remaining on his deal. So it wouldn't be like an Odell Beckham situation where you have to redo his deal right away uh, because he wants to get paid more. He's He's already been paid, and he's getting paid quite a bit. Supposedly, the Cardinals have toyed with the idea of trading him, and Deion Sanders actually suggested the Packers might be a possible destination last fall. I'm skeptical as to whether or not the Packers would be interested in doing a deal, but let's talk about it anyway, since so many people on the internet seem to want to trade for Patrick Peterson. And again, I get it. What would it take to get him? Well, we've got three pretty good examples. Uh, Digging pretty far back in history, we've got Champ Bailey. He was traded pretty much straight up. Um, for Clinton Portis, along with the second round pick. But more or less, it was the Portis for Bailey swap that was the big deal there. So you get a a stud young running back and a second round pick for a guy who had been very good and ended up being great with the Denver Broncos. That is is the furthest back example. That's all the way back uh, in, in 2004, prior to the 2004 season. More recently, uh, Darrell Rivas and Aqib Talib have also been traded at around the same age to where Peterson is now. Rivas was traded heading into his age 28 season, and he was traded by the Jets to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the 13th overall pick in the 2013 draft and a conditional selection the next year. The Buccaneers um, signed him to a six-year, $96 million contract after the trade. Although it is interesting to note that none of the money in Rivas' new deal was guaranteed, and as a result, he was released the next year, or he ended up in New England somehow. I believe he was released. I would have to look that up to be sure. Then Tlaib. Uh, This one is a little bit interesting. You've got to take it with a bit of a grain of salt because of some of the, uh, I guess, ancillary considerations related to Tlaib. He was traded at the start of his age 26 season, in part because he was serving a four-game suspension for performance-enhancing uh, performance related drug reasons. Um, on November 1, 2012, the Buccaneers traded Tlaib and a 2013 seventh-round draft pick to the Patriots for a 2013 fourth-round pick. So you've got Tlaib in a seventh going to New England for a fourth-round draft pick. I don't think that's a great example because um, Tlaib had some other considerations. So you've got Bailey and Rivas really showing it's going to probably take at least a first-round pick. And if if you're looking at this from the Packers' perspective, 
I think this trade is probably a lot more likely than the Odell Beckham Jr. trade because the Packers need help in the secondary and they're probably going to be looking pretty closely at cornerback when the time comes to make their selection later this month. But I think they would like to pay a little bit less than Peterson is making. He's got double-digit cap figures for each of the next three seasons, although if they wanted to trade for him and then go in a different direction, it wouldn't cost them a whole lot in terms of dead cap in those situations. So I think the Peterson trade of the two is more likely, but neither one is very likely at all. Finally, we've got to talk about two draft-related trade possibilities, trading up in the draft and trading back in the draft. First, trading up. Trading up's been mentioned as a possibility increasingly since the Packers made their Demarius Randall deal because that gave them some more draft capital at the top of the fourth and fifth rounds that they could use to move further up in the first round. I am skeptical of that hypothesis because you really, really have to be convinced that you're going to get a game changer if you're willing to trade up into the top 10 of the draft because of how much it takes to move up that high. And while the Packers do have 12 draft picks, it could cost them three, maybe even four picks, considering where their picks are, to move up that high. Just for the amount that it costs, I am very skeptical about moving back or moving up in the draft. As to trading back, we've got to stop bringing this up as a possibility and pretending like it's any kind of smart analysis. Every so every year, and I've been this guy before, but every year, you know, this comes up in the draft and, and some guy thinking he's come up with a unique concept says, you know, the Packers really should trade back in the draft. They can pick up more picks and they'll probably get more guys that they like. As though he's the first person in the world to realize that you get more picks when you trade back in the draft. Well, yeah, you ding dong. Of course you do. Everyone knows that. And you know who else knows that? All 31 of the general managers in the NFL. It takes two to tango. The Packers can't just trade back and get both of the guys they hypothetically want just because it suits them. They've got to find a dance partner here, okay? It's not brilliant analysis to say the Packers should trade back. Maybe they do. It's not because you thought that they should, okay, internet general manager. It's not brilliant. You're just like everybody else. Everyone has thought of that, okay? Stop bringing it up. Yes, it's always an option. You can always trade back in the draft. While I've got you here, another thing to come out of the NFL owners meetings has been a couple of rule changes. First and foremost, the much reviled catch rule is getting a change. No more of a catch being disallowed because a player went to the ground and a ball and the ball came out. Though I always have believed that I thought catching the ball meant grabbing a hold of it and not letting go. That's an entirely different debate. The other rule change that's coming up um, is a college-style targeting rule where a player could be flagged or even ejected if they believe he intentionally tried to hit somebody in the head. I don't want to debate the merits of that rule or really any rule change. What I do want to bring up is something called Chesterton's Fence. G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite authors. Uh, He's got a brilliant mind. He's got a brilliant way of seeing the world. And he brings up this idea in his 1929 book, The Thing, that he calls The Fence. Uh, This is a long quote. Just listen here. 
In the matter of reforming things, as distinct from deforming them, there is one plain and simple principle, a principle which will probably be called a paradox. There exists in such a case a certain institution or law. Let us just say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or a gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this. Let's clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. End quote. What Chesterton is basically saying here is there could be some unintended consequences to changing rules that you don't fully understand. And I believe this is going to be the case here on two fronts. First and foremost, everybody seems to assume that the catch rule is 100% fixed because we've changed a part that nobody likes. That is almost certainly not going to be the case. We're still going to have issues determining what a catch is in this season, and it's still going to be a headache for people. That's just the way football works. We're not going to fix everything that annoys us about a game as complex as football. Similarly, from the owner's management, whatever perspective, you are not going to legislate violence out of the game of football. And just because a guy can get ejected from a game for hitting another guy in the head isn't going to make the game safer. You are just going to have games changed in ways that you don't anticipate because of this new rule. There are going to be consequences that you didn't see coming just because you saw a rule that you didn't like and wanted to get rid of it. That has always been the case when we want to change rules just for the simple fact that we don't like them, and it's going to be the case here. You will see it in 2018. Believe me, it's going to happen. That's all I've got for you this week. I appreciate you tolerating my ranty spirit there towards the end. I do get a little bit worked up over things like rule changes, but, you know, thanks for bearing with me. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com, as well as on Facebook and on Twitter. Reach us via email, via thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us, if you would be so kind, via Patreon. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep is where you find us there. You can also find us on Teespring. Click the store link at thepowersweep.com to see our fine merchandise there. The freest and easiest way to support what we do here is via a review on iTunes. Uh, It's free, it's easy, no pressure, but we do love those reviews. And we do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. As I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.